passage of scripture today in Hebrews is a pretty well-known one. It's chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, about Jesus as our great high priest. One of the notable phrases in this passage is that because of Jesus, we can come boldly with confidence into the throne of grace. And uh, the fact, the thought of, of approaching God is something that's frightening, should be frightening to all of us. But because of Jesus, who has gone before us and as we've already learned, pioneering the way, dying on the cross for us, we now have access to God with confidence. We don't have to be afraid. Now, got a pretty interesting setup here. We're in the Hobbs uh, archive here at OBU's library. What is in the box right here is an incredibly rare and valuable version of the King James Bible. It's one of the very first editions, and it's what's known as the He Bible in Ruth chapter three. There's a passage there in verse 15 where it says, He, referring to Boaz, uh, lays on to she, to her, referring to Ruth, the barley. And then in the Bible here, it says, and he goes to town. But the context is he has given her the barley. She goes into town. It's a misprint. They got the pronoun wrong. It says he instead of she. And so there's only 200 of these that are known to be in existence in the world today. OBU has been uh, blessed to have been gifted one of these. Now, I'm gonna tell you right now, uh, I Googled it up and looked. One of these Bibles can actually sell at an auction for a minimum of a couple hundred thousand dollars. I mean, this is an incredibly rare and valuable thing. And I will tell you right now, I am terrified to touch this. So this is Rachel Walker, and Rachel is the archivist here, and she takes care of all of the old and uh, very special, valuable uh, parts of the collection of the library here. So Rachel, what I'm kind of thinking is before I would ever touch a Bible, I'm scared to death to touch this. I'm afraid if I touch it, it's going to fall apart and you guys are going to be mad at me. Um, it would give me more confidence to know how to touch this if you told me first exactly how you are to handle a book of antiquity like this. How do you, how do you handle an old book like this? Sure. Um, first, you would want to put on some gloves okay. to protect the material from the oils in our hands. Right, okay. Um, and then you would want to just handle it very carefully uh -huh. and gently. And just be mindful that it is probably very fragile. Right. Um, so you want to be uh, just very careful and slow and um, like this. You Yes, you're being very delicate with that. <laughs> yeah. And so putting on the gloves, handling it like the thing could just fall apart. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what I can tell you is uh, there's no way I'm touching this unless I first talk to Rachel and what's going on here? Rachel has handled books of this nature. She knows what she's doing. She's, she's done this before. And that's what we're gonna be talking about today. I can have confidence in my relationship with the Lord because of Jesus. Uh, he's done this before. He has gone ahead of us. He has paved the way for us to be right with God, to have access with him, to be in a relationship with him through our faith in Jesus. Thank you, Rachel. Mm -hmm. All right, good stuff. Pretty neat that the OB Library has that uh, King James Bible up there like that. So as I mentioned in the video, we're going to be talking about a very iconic passage of Scripture, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Many of you are going to be familiar with this. Jesus, our great high priest, and uh, he enables us to come 
boldly to the throne of grace. Now, we're going to read this, this passage and study it this morning, but I, I think a great way to really understand this passage of Scripture is to think about three words. There, there's, there's three concepts that's being laid out in these three verses of Scripture for us uh, from the author of Hebrews. I'm going to give you those three words, and then I'm going to kind of illustrate it a little bit for you, uh, what I mean by these three words, and then we're going to see how it plays out in the text. Okay, so here's the first word. The first word is the word requirement. When we read this passage of Scripture, you're going to see that there is a requirement here. All right? Now, an illustration of that might be, if I said to you, hey, I got a job for you. I got a task for you. I've got a requirement of you. And let's just say uh, it is, I want you to build me a small house made out of Legos. Okay? I know that sounds weird, but coming from me, it's not weird. Uh, build me a small house made out of Legos. That's the requirement. Now, whenever you're given a job like that, and maybe kind of an odd sounding, you're going to go with the second word here. You're going to want the reason. All right, why is it that you want me to build you a small house out of Legos? Now, I can tell you then that the reason is, let's say, because I need it for a sermon illustration. All right, again, that wouldn't be a surprise for many of you. And so here's the reason. Okay, so you say, great, you got a job for me, a requirement, and that is build a small house out of Legos. The reason is you need it for a sermon illustration. But then comes the third thing. The problem would be, what if you don't have any Legos? So you're going to need resources. So I just happened to bring with me a nice little tub of Legos. It's got the flat pieces in there, and it's got plenty of bricks. Uh, you can build me a nice little house of Legos with these. So you see that then the requirement, build me a house of Legos. The reason, going to use it in a sermon illustration. The resources, here you go. Now look at those same three words. And I want you to think about it and apply it, lay it right over the passage of Scripture we're going to study. There's a requirement in this passage of Scripture, and we're going to find out that it's that we hold fast to Jesus. We persevere in our faith even when times are hard. Uh, the reason for that is going to be multiples. Uh, because no one's greater than Jesus because of who he is. We're also going to look at what he's done for us in the past. We're also going to look at what he's doing for us right now. That's the reason why we want to hold fast to Jesus. And then the resource in this, we're going to get to the last verse, verse 16, and we're going to see that the resource is prayer. What connects us to Jesus, what, what helps us to keep going and holding fast is that we can come with confidence to his throne of grace. All right, so those three words, the requirement, the reason, and the resources, I want you to think about those, and now let's take our Bible, and let's read these three verses. So Hebrews chapter 4, as we just continue with the study of this book uh, for this year, Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verses 14 to 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. There's our requirement. Uh, here comes part of the reason. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then the resource, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So let's take a few minutes this morning and let's unpack those three words and how it applies in this passage of Scripture. So the requirement. 
Now, right here in verse 14, the author of Hebrews says, let, let, we need to hold fast to Jesus. Now, this is a thing that he's been repeating all through these first four chapters. Uh, remember, the context is these Hebrews, these, these Jews who had converted to Christianity, uh, they are being severely persecuted for their faith. And so when times are hard, it's many times easiest then for us to let go of Jesus and to grab on instead to a path that is sinful or selfish or easy. And in their case, to go back to Judaism, which would have gotten the persecution off their back. But instead, the author says, no, even in hard times, you need to hold fast to Jesus. It is critically important that you persevere in the faith. Now, what have we learned up to this point in Hebrews about persevering in the faith in Jesus? It is not the cause of our salvation. I am not saved because I keep holding on to Jesus. No, I am only saved because of what Jesus has done on my behalf at the cross and the resurrection. There's nothing that I do that saves me. But me persevering and holding on to the faith in Jesus, it's not the cause of my salvation, it is the demonstration of my salvation. It shows, it gives evidence that I have a genuine faith to begin with. Uh, we use the illustration of the trumpet. I can pick up a trumpet and make a sound with it, but making a sound with the trumpet does not cause me to be a musician. But if I pick up a trumpet and I play a beautiful song with the trumpet, now you know my beautiful song demonstrates, it evidences that I am already a, beautiful, a powerful musician. So this is why we want to hold fast, why we want to hold on to Jesus because of all that that means. Now, what's inherent in this passage and really all through Hebrews is this fact. It is not easy to be a Christian. If you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to hold fast to Jesus, uh, get ready because you're going to face some very challenging times. Now listen, listen, I have had people say to my face before that Christianity is an escape. I mean, they've looked right at me in the face and they've said, you know, the reason you believe in God and the reason you believe in the Bible, the reason you don't Christianity anything is because you clearly have issues with your father or you had something in your childhood, you know, being raised. And what you've done is you've just escaped into this mythical fairy tale that there's a God that wants to give you this supernatural comfort and help you and all this kind of thing. And you know, whenever someone says that to me, <laughs> Uh, I always just say, wait a minute, really? An escape? Do you know how hard it is to try to be like Jesus, who is perfect? Does that sound easy to you? Uh, is it easy to wage war against the flesh, to resist temptation? Is it easy to be ridiculed because you believe in a supernatural God and that he has inspired his word here? Is that easy? No, Christianity is an escape. And listen to me tell you this. If you are wanting the lazy man's path in life where there are no challenges and there is nothing difficult to transform and shape you, if you want the path that's well-worn by everybody else, Christianity is not for you. It isn't easy. Look at these words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. 
For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So here's what we're doing as Christians. What have we learned here? Our heart is set on the treasures of heaven. Our heart is set what we learned a couple of Sundays ago. Our heart is set on God's eternal rest. So this is my drive and this is my focus and it's not going to be easy, but it certainly is going to be worth it. Now here's another aspect of holding fast to Jesus. What's our context? Difficult times. These people are being persecuted because they're following Jesus. And here's here's the interesting thing I've noticed about Christians, some Christians in my ministry. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I've never understood this. The Christian, that when difficult times come, they let go of God. They lose someone. They go through some kind of crisis. They go through some great temptation. And instead of leaning into God, instead of holding on to God, what they tend to do is they just tend to let go. Now, I get it. It's easy to get frustrated with God. It's easy to get angry with God. It's easy to get kind of jaded and bitter towards God and blame God for things. But friends, when the pressure is on and life is throwing you some of the biggest curves it can, this is not the time to loosen your grip on God. This is the time to strengthen it, to hold fast. Now, I want you to think about an illustration of this, okay? I brought a bat. I brought Legos. I brought bats. I brought the whole thing today. And I'm not hitting a ball out in the crowd, so don't worry. I have had some people, I know some people, and I don't know this because they told me, but some people sleep with a baseball bat next to their bed. All right? And I don't think it's because they wake up in the middle of the night with an urge to play baseball. By the way, it's been funny. In every service, I know every one of you that sleeps with a bat next to your bed because every time I've said it in all three services, several of you go, yeah, you and you and you. Yeah, I know. You're the ones with the bat next to your bed. Don't break into your house. Now, why do you have a bat next to your bed? Protection. So here's what happens. Play, play the scene out with me, okay? You hear something go bump in the night in your house. You hear, a, you hear a crashing sound in the kitchen, all right? Now, your first thing you do is you roll over to your spouse and say, honey, will you go check that out? That's the first thing you do. I'm just kidding. So what do you do? You grab the bat, right? And you got to I mean, you're scared. You've heard a sound in your kitchen, in your house. You got a pretty good grip on that bat. But as you kind of inch down the hallway, you hear another sound. (laughs) And you know somebody's in there. And when you hear the other sound, what do you do? You got both hands on that bat. And as you get closer and closer to the kitchen, you can tell somebody's in that kitchen. You are white knuckling that bat, aren't you? Because as the moment approaches, as the critical crunch time hits, you are gripping on for everything you got. As you get closer to the kitchen, do you handle the bat like this? Hey, I wonder if somebody's in my house. It's like this, aren't you? Roller coaster. It's going up the hill. Ching, 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 ching. And I mean right as that ching, 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 ching. Right as you're about to go down the hill, what are you doing? You are white knuckling that bar in front of you. By the way, you people that go, ah, that ain't normal, okay? <laughs> That's just not normal. You should be white knuckling that bar in front of you. Is that right? But right, the whole point, right at the critical moment. And this is what the author of Hebrews says. 
When life gets hard, why on earth would you handle God like this? No, when life gets hard, this is the moment when you need to be holding fast, when you need to be gripping on with everything you got and leaning into him. So that's our requirement. That's our job, to persevere in our faith. Look at this great quote from Charles Spurgeon. Look at what he said. He said, my dear friend, when grief presses you to the dust, don't let go of God. Worship there. Now, that's the requirement. Here's, here's the reason. So I think, I think the author of Hebrews gives us a few reasons here. Why in the world would I want to hold fast to God, e- even when that means that's going to be the more challenging and the more difficult path? All right, so he's already given us ample reason in Hebrews, right, why I would want to follow God. First of all, because he's the greatest. We've already learned that in the first couple of chapters. No one compares to Jesus. There's no person, there's no ideology, there's no thing on the earth that even, even comes close, remotely close, to being as great as Jesus and to doing what Jesus can do for us. But look at some clues here from our text. So I'm gonna give you three reasons why you wanna hold fast to Jesus. Here's the first one. First of all, because of who he is. So notice how he calls him a couple of different times, he calls Jesus our great high priest, right? So we have a great high priest Pastor of heaven, look at verse 15, right? He's not unable to sympathize with our weakness, but look at, this, look at this phrase. One who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Now, let's just watch what he's doing here. He is comparing Jesus with the high priests of the Old Testament, of Israel, and really into the New Testament. Now, He's saying Jesus is the great high priest. He's the ultimate, right? So after him, he, he fulfills all the stuff. What were the high priests doing? The high priest had a number of responsibilities, but one of his chief responsibilities, and I won't belabor this because we've already talked about it in the study, but one of his chief responsibilities was on the day of atonement, one day a year, he would go into the Holy of Holies and he would stand in front of the Ark of the Covenant and he would have a censer dripping with blood and he would shake the blood on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant called the mercy seat. So we go back to the Old Testament and we read in detail the description of the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant. The mercy seat has two angels on top of it and the wings are pointing towards each other and the wings are slightly lifted up. And the faces of the angels are looking down into the box. What's in the box? The law. When he goes in and shakes blood on this thing, it is a stark, vivid picture of atonement for sin. Here are the angels lifting their wings up to God, but looking down at the law that man has broken. And the blood is the payment, is the atonement for our sin. Now, here's the thing with the day of atonement. They had to do it every year. And every year the high priest went in there, they're really just kicking the can down the road until we come to Jesus. And Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice for us, right? First of all, the blood of animals is never ultimately gonna, sac- gonna, gonna cover our sin because we are humans and they are angels. We are made in the image of God. Animals, we are made in the image of God. They're not. And so here's what has to happen then. You have to have a human being, fully human, fully man, one who's gone through all the stuff that we've gone through. He has to shed his blood, but the thing is, 
It has to be someone who is perfect and sinless. Because here is God who is perfect, and so his demand of righteousness is perfection. I'll never, ever achieve perfection because of my sinfulness. And so unless a human being shedding human blood does so perfectly, the righteous demands of God will never be satisfied. And so here comes Jesus, and he does it for us. And so after Jesus gives his life, there are no more sacrifices because we don't need them anymore. He is the sacrifice for us. And he comes and initiates this. You know, you think about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sin, and after they sin, they're naked. They hide from each other. They hide from God. And God comes and initiates this, and God comes and brings to them. He's gone and killed some animals, and God brings the skin of animals to Adam and Eve to cover themselves. The first reference in all the Bible that something has to die for the atonement of sin. And so here's Jesus, and in my place, he dies on the cross for my sin. And through my faith in what he has done for me and in his person, I am now made right with God. But see, here's the key. We look at the screen. Who he is, watch this. How is Jesus different than the high priest? Understand that the high priest had to make sacrifice for his own sin before he could go into the Holy of Holies to avert the judgment of God. In fact, when the man goes into the Holy of Holies, he's got bells on the bottom of his robe so they can hear if the dude's still moving around and alive in there. That's how serious this is. And so he has to make atonement for his own sin, and then he goes in there. And so the author of Hebrews says, Jesus, he's sinless, he's perfect. Jesus doesn't have to make atonement for his own sin because he has none. And so Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, Jesus is the sacrifice for us. And friends, listen to me. Nobody else, nobody can do that. I can't die for your sin because I got my own sin. You can't die for my sin because you got your own sin. There is no one else that's ever walked the face of this earth like Jesus. So I want to hold fast to him because of who he is. Here's another reason because of what he's done. Now look at verse 14. He says, we have this great high priest, now look at this phrase, he has passed through the heavens. Plural, the heavens. Now, I'm gonna teach you something. I think, this is what I think is going on here. Maybe I'm off, but what's he doing? He's paralleling Jesus and the high priest. And then he says, Jesus, with a parallel to the high priest, has passed through the heavens, plural. Watch. You may not have known this, but when the high priest on the day of atonement went to the Ark of the Covenant, he had to go through three doors. He took the blood, and he goes through the door to the outer court, and then he has to go through the door to the holy place, and then he goes through the veil to the holy of holies. Three doors. If I take 2 Corinthians and Paul and apply it to heaven, heavens, remember in 2 Corinthians, Paul's telling the Corinthians, hey, remember, I got the gospel not from Peter, not from James. I got the gospel from Jesus. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, I was caught up to the third heaven. And we go back and we look, and the ancients believed the first heaven was the atmosphere. The second heaven was outer space where the planets and the stars were. The third heaven is where God lives. And so here's the high priest who on this earth went through three physical doors, but here is Jesus 
who has gone through the heavens thrice. And so the first reason is there ain't anybody like Jesus. The second thing is no one has done for you what Jesus has done. That'd be, that'd be quite a ride to go up to the third heaven, wouldn't it? But I haven't done it in either of you, but Jesus has. So just put that right in your life for a second. I want you to think with me. What's the greatest thing that anyone's ever done for you? What's the greatest gift you've ever received from someone? Just think about it. Greatest gift I ever got, first grade. I was seven or eight. I got an electric football set. I still remember that thing. Greatest gift. Greatest thing anyone's ever done for me? Um, my mom is watching at home online in the 11 o'clock service, so I'm going to go with the greatest thing anyone's ever done for me was my mom who gave birth to me. Thanks, mom. <laughs> That's right at the top of the list. All right, do you, do you have it in your mind? Greatest thing anyone's ever done? Greatest gift anyone's ever given you? you? You got it in your mind? Now, here we go. Whatever that is, is really just nothing compared to what Jesus has done for you. Dying on the cross, passing through the heavens, making petition for you on behalf of you to the Father. No one's ever done that for you. I want to hold fast to him because that's what he's done. Here's the third reason I want to hold fast to him, because of what he's doing right now. What is Jesus doing right now for me? Well, check this out. Look at verse 15. So it says, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. So here's Jesus, and he sympathizes with our weaknesses. Um, it's difficult for us, reading this in the 21st century, to just understand how revolution, I mean, when you read this, Jesus, who is God, sympathizes with us. I mean, that is a shut the book, walk away. What moment? Because you have to understand, when the first century, and this is written, Greek philosophy is rampant. You've got the Stoics who thought one of God's greatest attributes was his apathia, his apathy. And the Stoics believed that God had zero emotion. And the reason it was important for God to have zero emotion is if he ever showed emotion, then that would mean you could control him some way. Kind of like, you know, hey, let's figure out what makes God cry, and then we'll do that to him, and then he'll have to give us whatever we want. And so God, by definition to the Stoics, had zero emotion. He cared absolutely nothing about anyone or anything. That was God. The Epicureans believed not only did God not have emotion and care, but the Epicureans believe that God existed in what's called the intermedia, kind of like the second heaven, which is between the worlds here. So not only for the Epicureans did God not care, but God wasn't even around. He was way off in outer space somewhere. So he's nowhere around here, and he doesn't care for us. And so now you know that when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, let me teach y'all how to pray, and you start it off like this, our distant, uncaring God? No, it's revolutionary that Jesus is our Father. So when the writer of Hebrews says right here that Jesus sympathizes with us, this is absolutely revolutionary. Now, I have time for this. <laughs> Let, let, let's get a handle on what it means that Jesus uh, 
sympathizes with us. Scientific fact, this has been done. Did you know, but you didn't know. If you have two pianos in a room, so imagine there's another piano right here. If you have two pianos in a room and you strike the note on one of the pianos, that it slightly resonates that same note in the other piano. It's called sympathetic resonance. Like the other piano is sympathizing with this piano. So I hit the note. It slightly vibrates that same string on that piano. Sympathetic, vibra- sympathetic resonance is what it's called. Now, put your thinking cap on with me. What in the world are you doing here, preacher? Watch this. This week in my ecclesiology class at OBU, we're talking about the Lord's Supper. And I was teaching our students, you know, Martin Luther says the actual body of Jesus is in the bread, right? The, the actual body, of it's mystical, weird way, but he's actually in there. Zwingli came on and said, no, 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 that, that's crazy. Uh, the body of Jesus can't be in the bread because the body of Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of God, which is what most Baptists believe. It's all just symbolic. But think about that. Hey, where is Jesus right now? I think sometimes we kind of think, oh, when Jesus died and rose again, and then when he ascended, he kind of like, he just turned into Casper the ghost. Did did you know that Jesus has a body still right now? He bodily rose from the dead. He bodily ascended into heaven. And at the right hand of the throne of God, Jesus is in bodily form waiting to return to this earth. And you say, what does that mean? That means that whenever you get a discordant note in your life, that sounds pretty bad. Whenever you get the grief, tragedy, crisis, temptation, it is striking a note with Jesus. Friends, you understand that? There's not a thing you go through that he doesn't resonate with, sympathize with. And if that does not comfort you and encourage you, then I'm just going to tell you, you don't get it. What an amazing thing. And you lose every temptation. Now listen, I've heard the critics. You can't believe this. Jesus didn't go through every temptation because, first of all, Jesus could not have gone through the temptations that women faced because he was a man. Jesus could not have gone through the temptations that married people faced because he was never married. Jesus could not have gone through the temptations that elderly people faced because he was never elderly. Okay? But the broad spectrum of what he faced in temptation covers all of it. And people look at this and say, well, Jesus can't really sympathize with me. I mean, because he was Jesus. He was perfect. That temptation doesn't really mean anything. It it absolutely did. And here's what you got to remember, friends. You want to know the person that has faced temptation head on and and has greater experience than anybody is the person that faces temptation and they never give in to it, which is none of us. C.S. Lewis said, do you know how strong, you know how you find out how strong the German army is? By fighting it, not by quitting. Y'all didn't get that. Let me put it in terms that Oklahomans can understand. Do you want to know how strong the wind is? 
by trying to walk into it, not by laying down. How do I know Jesus sympathizes with all of my weaknesses and all of my temptation? Because he walked right into all of it and he never gave in one time. So can I trust him to sympathize with me? Absolutely. Here's the last thing, look at this. Well, just look at this. Here's, here's, here's the resource. So verse 16. So the resource is prayer. How do I connect with all this? What well, helps me to hold fast to Jesus? Look, so with confidence we draw near to the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be terrible if here comes Jesus and he does all this for us and there's a big chasm and gap between us and we say, hey, Jesus, I see you over there. You've done all this stuff for me, but I can't get to you. And Jesus goes, yeah, that's a bummer. I've got all this ready for you, but you can't. No, so when Jesus dies on the cross, what does he do? He satisfies God's demand of righteousness and the barrier between us and God that was erected because of our sin. As the gospels show, symbolically, when he dies on the cross, the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, it rips in two from top to bottom. The barrier's gone. And so here's Jesus. He's, he's, I want to hold fast to you, Jesus. I want to follow you. You're the greatest. You do more for me than anything else. How do I tap into that? And what, what are the resources at my disposal? Prayer. I can come confidently. And notice, he doesn't mean braggadociously, flippantly, disrespectfully, like, you know, this means I'll walk into God's throne, you know, like, hey, big G, man upstairs. That's disrespectful. But remember, gang, what, what, look at the context. What came right before this? What is, what is this the antidote of? Fear. You know, in the last several months, I've, I've gone around and spoken to different churches and different things with... I see so much fear today. People are afraid of the virus. People are afraid of this. People are afraid of what's going on in the world. Listen, we don't have to be afraid. We can go with confidence. And don't you love it says the throne of grace? Isn't that amazing? You know, God is so awesome. His sheer holiness, just by looking at him, it could turn me into a pile of dust but he has robed his throne in grace. And so because of the merits of Jesus and not the merits of me or anyone else, I can come with confidence to God. And God gives me the resources I need in prayer to hold fast to him. See it? So I've tried to lay it out to you. And it all boils down to this. After everything I've just said to you, why on earth would you follow anyone or anything other than Jesus? No one's as great as he is. No one has done for you what he has done. No one can do for you right now what he is doing. Why on earth? And if our requirement is to our soul to be saved, for us to be right with God. If our requirement is to not be afraid, our requirement is to be steadfast. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, back to the Legos. If you're going to follow the easy path and you're going to go the way of the world, you're going to go the way of yourself, do you know what you're going to get? You're going to get about six Legos. That's all it can give you. 
I'm going to tell you right now, if the requirements build a house, you ain't building a house with six Legos. In fact, it looks pretty lame to me. Quit going that way. But what happens, what happens if you follow the Lord? What happens if you say, God, even in times of trial and even in times of hardship, I'm going to hold fast to you. What happens if you see the reason in doing all this in him? What happens if through prayer you go to God and not go to try to any other thing? You know what? Here's what the resources are going to look like when you come to God. Guess what? You're not getting six Legos. I mean, just see the picture. You can follow the world and get that. Or... You can come follow Jesus and get that. This ain't rocket science. Why would we not follow Jesus? Why would we not die to self? And even when the price is high and it's challenging and hard, I still want to hold fast to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that he is who he is. He has done for us what he has done. He does for us what he's doing now. And thank you for this tremendous resource of prayer, Lord, of going to you because we can. We don't have to be afraid of you, Lord. You don't have to be afraid at all. But even though we may be persecuted, even though they may be killing us, in following you, Lord, we have our confidence. We know we are following the right path. So I pray today, Father, for anyone not following you. They're following something in the world or someone in the world or just themselves. Father, would you show that person where that path is going to end? Instead, Lord, help us to die to self and to truly follow you in faith and obedience. And so thank you, God, for all of the reasons to follow you. Thank you for the resources that you give to us, so many. And so we come and humble ourselves before you today, Lord. Help us not to give excuses anymore about not following you but to humbly, humbly come, God. Lay down our lives before you. We ask this in Jesus' name.